So, this morning, we are looking at uh, John chapter 20, uh, verses 1 through 18. John 20, uh, 1 through 18. I feel a little bit like Al Roker over here, which is kind of cool. It's kind of fun. Anyway, um, so John 20, 1 through 18. I, I've, I've, I forget now, but I think this is my, it's either my sixth or seventh Easter message on this passage in what never ceases to amaze me is there's just so much here. So six or seven, that's like three, that's a long time to talk about one piece of scripture. So anyway, John 20, one through 18, you can follow along. Um, before we read, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we, we quiet ourselves right now. And we ask that you would speak. As we open your word and we, we walk through this amazing, unbelievable, awesome, incredible story of your resurrection, Jesus. We pray that you would speak to us anew. We pray that you would meet us where we are. We pray that you would, that you would give us what we need. Speak to us now, for we are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. So John 20, starting at verse 1. Hear these words. Early, on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. And she said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but didn't go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still didn't understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. When the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and, and I don't know where they put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. 
She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, don't hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and sisters and tell them, I'm returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene then went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. We'll go that far. This is the word of the Lord. So, right now, If this was a normal Easter, can we dream just for a minute? Let's just dream for a second. I think we're allowed to do that, right? If this were a normal Easter, we'd all be gathered together here in this room, and that would be so awesome. We'd all be dressed up in our Easter best, and being dressed up in your Easter best means that you'd be feeling really good, like really, really good. We might have the place decked out looking all like Easter, white everywhere. Maybe we'd have some some Easter lilies in the place. And some of us would be like, yay, Easter lilies. And then others of us with allergies would be like, oh man, Easter lilies. But it'd be fine. We'd get over it because of grace and generosity and love and all that other mushy stuff, right? We'd be fine with that. We'd sing some songs, some of them old, some of them new, all of them about resurrection all of them about new life, all of them about the faithfulness of God, all of them about the love of God. It would be great. I imagine other churches because I long for other churches to be gathered together too. And I imagine at other churches there'd be these these great big choirs singing these great Easter anthems with all their guts. There'd be these organs playing on full blast And it would just be completely awesome. We'd all be excited, all gathered together here in this room. We'd be excited for later on in the day because we all got plans. We're going to go visit family, extended family, maybe at lunch and maybe at dinner. And we'd all gather together and have fun fun together. And kids would be with grandparents and cousins and aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters. And at this point, we'd all be flying high together if this were this were a normal Easter. But it's not a normal Easter. Like there are only a few of us here. And it feels pathetically empty. No offense, Emily and Justine. But it's different. It's not a normal Easter. There's just a few of us here and you're at home sitting on your couch or in a recliner. Maybe you got dressed up to feel some sense of normalcy, but let's be honest about it. Most of you are still in your PJs sitting on the couch. Maybe you're sitting at the table eating breakfast, and who cares if you got egg and cheese on your face because no one can see you. Anyway, we're all sick of being at home, aren't we? We're, we're sick of this social distancing stuff and our kids not being able to be with their grandparents. We're, we're tired of feeling like going to the grocery store is like... It's like risking our lives. We're tired, of, we're tired of less work. We're tired of no work. We're tired of working from home. We're tired of Zoom. I mean, how awesome is Zoom? It's such a gift, but 
dang it, we're just tired of Zoom. We can't bear to watch the news anymore because it's all COVID-19 all the time. And we don't want to hear anymore about the death toll because it's just super duper depressing. Enough of this already, right? I think we need some hope. Don't you? It's about time we had some hope. Yeah, I think we need some hope. And the only, uh, only place I know where to find it is in this story. Is if we follow this story really closely. I think if we follow it closely, we're going to find some hope. Not just a little bit of hope, but a whole bunch of hope. So will you do that with me? Let's follow this story. Come with me. Early, on the first day of the week, while it was still dark... Let's stop right there, early, on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, darkness. Some of you are thinking to yourselves right there, man, he said you were going to bring us hope and you lead with darkness? What are you doing? I'm leading with darkness, but hang with me. Because we're going somewhere early on the first day of the week while it was still dark. It was dark. And I imagine that the darkness inside of Mary and Peter and John and the rest of the disciples, I imagine that the darkness in the deepest parts of themselves matched the darkness that they found on the outside. I mean, their best friend Jesus their teacher, their master, their Lord, their rabbi, he was gone. And the one who had given them so much hope, the one who had walked around Galilee and Jerusalem, putting lives back together again, healing people, making the blind see, the deaf hear, the, the lame walk, the one who fed like ten to 15,000 people with just five loaves of bread and, and two fish, the one who had walked on water, the one who had showed them a a new way of life, a new way of generosity, loving the unlovable, accepting the unacceptable, the one who had taught them a whole new way to live, the one who had, who had said so many amazing things, the one who said things like, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. I have come to serve, not to be served. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The one who was like none other. The one who made you feel like the whole world was about to change and that God was finally going to show up and make everything right again. That one, Jesus, their best friend, their teacher, their master, their Lord, their rabbi, the one they loved so much. He was gone, crucified, dead, locked away in some tomb, and they watched it all happen early on the first day of the week while it was still dark. Darkness. I mean, we're feeling that right now. We're feeling the darkness. I mean, we know it. This pandemic, man, it's like nothing we've ever experienced before. It's totally flip-flopped our lives. It's totally turned everything upside down. Everything in our lives has been totally upended. In many ways, we're grieving. In all kinds of ways, we're, we're mourning. We're tired. 
we're afraid. Some of us even go beyond that. Some of us, some of us believe that this is just the way that the world is. It's just covered in darkness and, and the whole world has sort of turned its back on God and, and the whole thing's headed in the wrong direction. It's all going to hell in, the, in a handbasket. That's where it's all going anyway. But let me ask you a question. Early, on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, what had already happened? Early, on the first day of the week, when it was still dark, what had already taken place? What had already happened? The resurrection. When Mary got to the tomb, guess what? It was already empty. What is John trying to tell us? He's telling us that the resurrection happened while it was dark. I think that what John is trying to tell us here is that even when things are at their darkest, so dark that you can't even see, that God is at work in the world making things new, bringing about new life, bringing about resurrection, even when it seems like the whole world has turned its back on God, God has not turned his back on us. Even when it seems like the world is dying and headed in the wrong direction, this story tells us, uh-uh, God is making all things new and pulling, pushing the world toward heaven. I told you we'd get to hope. Look, it seems dark out right now, doesn't it? So dark. But this story invites, even commands us to hope. This story invites us to believe that, that God is still at work right here, right now. This story invites us to believe that when the darkness lifts, there will be new life. This story invites us to believe that even while we're in the darkness, there's new life springing up all around us. Maybe we just can't see it because it seems so dark. And we might not see it for a while either. When the darkness lifts and there is life, light, we may run around like idiots, like those first disciples, all confused and bewildered, not realizing what had just happened. But eventually, we will see it. Eventually, it will be there. This resurrection in the dark... While the darkness reigns, new life is springing up. That's such a mystery, isn't it? One theologian named Debbie Thomas writes, Could it be that death and darkness is such an abyss, such a horror, such a violation, that only a mystery as profound as a resurrection in the dark will suffice? Oh, I love that. But eventually the darkness... The darkness will lift. New life will be there. New life is all around us already, and we will see it. I know it seems dark out there right now, but the resurrection happening in the dark tells us one thing for sure. God does some of his best work in the dark. Oh, so good. Think about your life. Think about the darkest times in your life. Right? Think about those times. They're hard and heavy. But somewhere along the way, God does something new and new life springs up and 
new possibilities come out of it, things that you never saw before. It happens. We've experienced it. New life is all around us, friends. God does some of his best work in the dark. That's one thing. What else is John trying to tell us? Well, this next thing is a lot like the first thing, only said differently. So really, I only have one thing to say to you this morning, but I think this is really cool. And the thing that I'm about to point out to you, I'm not the first one to find it. I'm not the first one to point it out. All sorts of other people have found this, really good theologians, and they pointed it out first. People like N.T. Wright and Rob Bell and Luke Timothy Johnson and Brian Zond and all kinds of other people. Listen to this. John's telling of the Jesus story is just straight literary brilliance. It's freaking awesome, man. Listen to this. He starts out way at the beginning in chapter 2. He starts talking about Jesus doing this thing at a wedding. He turns some water into wine. And then he says about that, he says this was the first of Jesus' miraculous signs. And then later in chapter 4, he heals an official son. And he says this is the second of the miraculous signs. And then after that, he talks about more signs, but he stops counting them. He figures we all have our big boy pants and our big girl pants on and we can keep track ourselves. We can count. But since he counts the first two, you know he wants us to count the next ones as well. So then, in chapter 5, he heals a man at the pool. In chapter 6, he multiplies bread and fish and feeds like ten to 15,000 people. In chapter 6, again, he walks on water. In chapter 9, he heals a blind man. And then in chapter 11, he raises Lazarus from the dead. Raising Lazarus from the dead is the seventh sign. Like, he's trying to get us to pay attention. Seven. Pay attention to seven, because... Seven is, a, is an important number. In Jewish thought, the number seven is really important. It, it, it means completeness. It means wholeness. Like creation was completed in seven days. In fact, the number seven is most closely associated with the creation story. So the number seven would have jumped off the page to these early Jesus people. And then the signs, as you read through them, they sort of ramp up, which is really cool. He starts out by, by turning water into wine, which to me seems like a really cool magic trick, almost like David Blaine out on the streets of some city doing really cool things. And people are like, whoa. But by the end, in the seventh sign, we get to Jesus raising a dude from the dead. It's amazing. So when we get to our story this morning, and we've got Jesus raised from the dead, we're talking about sign number what? We got the first seven. We're talking about the eighth sign. Well, if the first seven is all about the first week of creation, then the eighth sign would be the first day of a new week. Are you with me? We've got early on the first day of the week. We've got the first day of a whole new week, a whole new creation. 
Now we're getting somewhere. In the first creation story, Adam and Eve were created, and they were placed in the what? In the garden. This is too good. And then you've got Mary meeting Jesus, and she thinks he's the gardener. Come on, man. John is being like, I'm being totally honest. You've got to pay attention to this stuff. So we're talking about the resurrection of Jesus. We're talking about a whole new creation bursting forth in the middle of this one right here, right now. The old creation had a death problem. Apparently the second one doesn't. The new creation doesn't. The resurrection is the beginning of a whole new creation, a whole new world bursting forth right in the middle of this one. Something big and bold and beautiful and new and awesome is happening. It's bubbling just underneath the surface of everything we see and everything we experience in this world. God is restoring, reclaiming, reconciling, renewing all things right here, right now. We're living in the middle of the new creation bursting forth. And guess what? God's looking for people to work with him to bring this new creation into reality. God is looking for you and me and everybody else in the world to work with the divine in making this new creation happen. That's what I think this, this whole thing with Mary is about. I mean, think about it. She finds out it's Jesus and she flips out and presumably she wants to embrace him. Of course she wants to embrace him. Her teacher's back. She can go back to being a disciple again. But then Jesus is like, don't hold on to me. And, you know, for the longest time, I'm like, why would you say that, Jesus? Like, when you return to normal, you want to embrace and hug. We've been talking with our neighbors and with other people that when this whole pandemic thing is over, there's going to be a lot of hugs. But here's Jesus. He's like, don't hold on to me. He says, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead and tell my brothers and sisters that I'm returning to my Father and their Father too to my God and their God. Don't hold on to me. Of course she wants to hold on to him. Of course she wants to go back to the way things were. But Jesus says, don't hold on to me. Like, we can't go back to the way things were. Like, reality has now fundamentally changed. We can't pretend like nothing happened and go back to the way it was. Something new is bursting forth. And I think he's also communicating to her that her life is now fundamentally different. She's no longer simply a disciple, which means learner. She's now something new. She's now an apostle. But go, go, go and tell my brothers and sisters, presumably that they're no longer disciples, just learners either. They're now partners with God in God, bringing about new creation. So y'all, we got a choice to make. Like we can live with an old creation worldview. We can let that dominate our lives, that, that everything's headed in the wrong direction, that there's darkness covering the earth, that the whole world, it's turned its back on the divine, or we can live into a new creation worldview. I mean, is this just how it is? I mean, it's easy to be cynical. Like, are we just stuck? Are these patterns and behaviors and addictions and habits and struggles, is this just the way it is? Or can there be a new creation? Like, are we enslaved to the way things are? Or can something new break forth? Can a seed fall into the ground and something new sprout up? 
in our world, in our communal life, in our relationships, in our politics, in our economics, in our own battles with with demons, addictions, and struggles, can something new break forth? Of course there can, because we live in a world where a resurrection happened, and God is alive, and God is at work in the world, making all things new. In fact, that means that every little thing that we do matters, that this world matters, that your life matters, that your body matters, and what you do with it matters. God's making all things new, and he wants you in on the gig. It's so unbelievably awesome. Listen to what N.T. Wright says in his book, Surprised by Hope. He says this, The point of the resurrection is that the present bodily life is not valueless just because it will die. What you do with your body in the present matters because God has a great future in store for it. What you do in the present By painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needing, loving your neighbor as yourself, all of that will last into God's good future. How all-encompassing is that? Oh my goodness. You know what I think? I think there's all kinds of really good things that happen in this world, and we don't give God credit for it at all. Just because it doesn't have God's name stamped on it, or some church's name stamped on it, or some denomination's name stamped on it, if it's good and beautiful and loving and helps people's lives flourish, it doesn't mean God isn't involved and behind the whole thing. Of course he is. You know what Paul said? He said, He said, in Jesus, all things hold together. What in the what? All things hold together in Jesus. If that's the case, then we don't have any, we don't have any other choice but to believe and to live into this whole new creation worldview because all things hold together in Jesus. That means all sorts of people, whether they know it or not, are partnering with God in bringing about this new creation. All kinds of people. There are people who don't even know they're partnering with God who are partnering with God. I think about all the people who, are, who work at grocery stores. Let's talk about those people again, those ordinary everyday heroes. They're just risking their health, risking their lives so that we can put food on our tables, so that we can stay home and quarantine and protect our communities and protect our family and be responsible. Oh my goodness, they're risking their health for that. They're making all things new. They're helping heal the world. I think about teachers. Holy moly. If there's one thing that we parents are learning about teachers, if we didn't realize it already, is they're like saving the whole world all the time. Like all they want to do is just be with their students in the classroom right now, and they can't. So you know what they're doing? They're coming up with all sorts of really fun, innovative ways to connect with students so that they can continue to form them and shape them. I think about teachers anyway. All of them, man, all of them. Think about what they do with their lives. They're just using what they've been given. Their gifts, their talents, their smarts, their intellect, their heart, their gigantic hearts for kids. And they're giving them to them all the time, helping our little ones grow up to be big ones that eventually will want to be around one day. 
More than that, people who will contribute to the world in some pretty amazing ways. Oh my gosh, teachers are partners with God whether they know it or not. Praise be to God. And then you've got people like, like construction workers who are, who are building homes and making apartment spaces for people to move into. Still, they're still hard at work, risking their lives too, so that people like us, ordinary people, can, can move in and, and make a new creation for ourselves and build a home and build families where grace and love and healing and forgiveness and embrace and generosity are the things that rule the day. Oh my gosh, there's so many good things that happen in this world. So when someone comes to you and says to you, do you believe in the resurrection? You can say, yeah, darn right I do. But I go beyond that. It's not just a mental ascent thing. I'm trying to live resurrection. I'm trying to enact it every day of my life because I believe that God is alive and active in this world, making all things new. And Jesus' resurrection was just the first day of a new week of a whole new creation. This world is headed somewhere, and I'm going to be a part of it. This story is an invitation for us to, to care for the earth to care for the most vulnerable, to care for the poor, to care for the sick, to care for people who are pushed out, to give people opportunities to build really good, beautiful, flourishing, fruitful lives, to go about enacting resurrection every single day of our lives. So where is there an old creation? Where is there an old creation that's just not working anymore? <laughs> But you get to be a part of making it new again. Where, into what darkness can, can you bring a little bit of light? Early, on the first day of the week, while it was still dark. Friends, it may seem dark out there, but if this story tells us anything, it's this. God does some of his best work in the dark and he's looking for people to work with him will you partner with him let's pray God thanks for this story for, for what you're calling us to for, for what it's telling us for what it's teaching us for how it's giving us a whole different way to look at the world for, for how it's giving us hope in the middle of, of what seems like endless darkness God you you're bringing about new life. And in a lot of ways, we can't see it. But you know what? In a whole bunch of different ways, we're seeing it even before this darkness has lifted. We're seeing neighbors be super awesome to one another. We're seeing people risk their lives for each other. We're seeing people care for each other like we haven't seen in some time. And God, we're so grateful for that. And we ask that you'd continue to move, move in the darkness Help your people to rise up and be people of the light in the middle of the darkness. People who are partnering with you in making all things new. Help us let go of the old. We're never going to be the same again because you've changed us. We're not just mere disciples, learners. You've made us apostles. You're sending us out in the world to do some pretty incredible things. And wherever there is light, wherever there is grace, Wherever there is love, wherever there is deep, 
personal connection wherever there is flourishing you you are present you are behind it all and to you we give all the glory and honor in jesus name we pray